Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, <laughs> that's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every basket, every game, every point, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a three-pointer at the buzzer to tie the game or a player that goes two for two at the foul line. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only. Must be present in Virginia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. This is Off Track with Hinch and Rossi. You're going to have to handle this one for me in the beginning, guys. I'm on a time frame and I'm eating. Fair. <laughs> Hello and welcome to Off Table with Hinch and Rossi. Because <laughs> Alex is enjoying a very hearty, healthy meal uh, as we record this episode. Because he's, 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 got, he's, on a, he's a man in demand. He's got things to do, places to go. I mean, he's not all- really. I just, I just planned poorly. Oh, okay. All right. Well, <laughs> you're also like the quickest. You and Connor are tied for the quickest eaters I know. So I don't worry about you finishing in time. I to still get have. I, I think as my like photo of for Connor in my phone is still him with like the three slices of pizza. The pizza, yeah, up. same, yeah. <laughs> same. And like the pizza stains on either side of his uh, of That's his weird. thing, like of his face, like he's the Joker. Um, cool. Well, so. There were kind of two main things to discuss today, but one of them I need Alex's uh, regular input in. So considering he's the Formula One race, don't look at me like that. Oh. So considering he's eating, uh, let's tackle the other one first, which was today's announcement, which was two days ago's announcement, if you're listening to this when it comes out. Uh, of me saying that I'm stepping back from full-time IndyCar racing. For the year. Neat. Yeah, I mean, well, I mean, you know, I think, I think, I think one has to look at the landscape of the world and acknowledge at this point that a full-time return is highly unlikely. Uh, and you know what? I'm totally fine with that. Uh, 11 years in, good run. Lots to be happy about, lots to be proud of. Uh, got to race against some incredible drivers. Uh, got to have some incredible teammates, one of which who's here on on the line. Uh, All right. No, yeah. So, yeah. So, years ago when we talked about this, uh, you had said that the important thing for you was to earn the respect of your peers in the series because there's a lot that wasn't in your control, whether it be the team or the car. So... Now that you're you're stepping back, do you feel like you've done that? I mean, that's a question for them. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Alex, say oh, yeah. nothing. Alex, say nothing. Okay. <laughs> no, for sure. No, no. I I appreciate that, and yeah, I I would like to think so. You know, I I always try to conduct myself in a way um, that that was respectful, though. You know, in competition, obviously, you got to push that boundary sometimes. But uh, if there ever was an issue on track. I always tried to to face it and you know 
confront it with whoever it was the issue was with. And, uh, you know, I, I tried to maintain a respectful relationship with all the drivers that, uh, that I raced against. And so, yeah, I'd like to hope that not just the drivers that, uh, you know, the, the line, my line was, you want to leave the sport with the respect of the people that you respect in it. And yeah. that's drivers. That's Better officials than how I said it. No, it's, so it's, <laughs> it's, um, yeah, it's, it's team owners, it's mechanics, it's engineers, anybody involved in the sport really. And, uh, and yeah, and that's, that's the hope, you know, that I at least left, uh, a good impression on the people that I got to work with. And I got to work with some amazing people. Um, and, and yeah, I mean, it's, it's, as I, as I said in, in my, in my, my post, I'm not retiring from racing. Uh, I could still very well be in, uh, you know, in an Indy car, maybe in the 500, I could still do a lot of other stuff. You know, if anything, it frees me up to, uh, to try some other stuff that has kind of been, uh, of interest to me for a while now. So, uh, so yeah, it's very exciting. There's some good news coming, some big things ahead and, uh, 11 years down, man. Not bad. Happy. Uh, man, this happy just makes that. me sad, though, because I thought maybe there was a chance that you were just going to start getting into hard drugs. But if you're still oh, doing some racing, then that, yeah. that makes it harder. Well, we're going to have to put that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, some guys have definitely done that. Um, <laughs> might have to put the hard drugs on hold for at least a little while. I think the, I think the big thing is like 11 years in a sport that is constantly evolving around wh whoever and whatever is the next best thing. Um, I think is, is a huge accomplishment. I think that kind of Thank you. precedes any sort of stat line or whatever. It's the fact that you were desired in a, in an industry that is very much a business for that amount of time um, over many options, ultimately every single off season. So I think that's, it's a very good thing, and very few people can say that they've achieved that in professional motor racing, considering there's only like 50 to 60 <laughs> of us to start with. Right, right. No, I appreciate it. I appreciate it. And like, look, let's call a spade a spade. Like, I shouldn't even be here. I, I was lucky to make it past year five or whatever it was. Everything after that was kind of a bonus. Like in racing or in, in the world? Well, yeah, both. <laughs> yes, one because of the other. Yes, yeah. Yeah, I was gonna say right. I agree with the yeah the world one, but no, I think you definitely should have been in racing. Yeah, no, it was because I was I could have been dead. Is yeah, right. Because you got hitched kebab. Because you got because I got hitched kebab. Correct. Yeah. That's exactly correct. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, so uh, some fun stuff coming, and I look forward to sharing some news with you guys soon on that. And. Uh, <clears throat> So before oh. we get to the F1 race, yes, there was uh, some internet malfunctions that happened earlier um, that either Tim left in or didn't, but nonetheless, the listeners shouldn't be surprised. So this kind of, while Tim was frozen, James and I were insulting him. You know, not because he was frozen, <laughs> just because it's fun for us. Because we don't like him. Yeah. So here's, here's a scenario that cool. I want to <laughs> share with you guys that almost got me fired pretty much instantly from Wayne Taylor racing. Oh, I love this. So rewind to 24 hours of Daytona. No, rewind to the roar leading into Daytona uh, almost a year ago. And there's, you know, the timing stand that exists. And then in sports cars, you know, the, the drivers are kind of behind the engineers in some capacity with a headset so they can see the screens and, 
you know, converse with the engineer strategist, listen to what's going on, just have a general understanding because other people are driving your car most of the time. Right. You're sitting there watching it go around. Well, so Philippe Albuquerque was new to the team. I was new to the team. And um, Ricky was in the car. And, you know, down below us, a, a step below us, um, in the timing stand was the engineer, Brian, the assistant engineer, Logan, the team manager, Travis, and um, Wayne, you know, the owner of Wayne Taylor Racing. And so part of the intercom system is there's channels, right? There's channels to communicate to the driver. There's channels to communicate to the engineers. And then there's just a pure driver channel, which is, you know, just the two drivers talking to each other. So I, I was love, kind of I love where this is going. Right. <laughs> so I was kind of explaining how all of this worked to Philippe. And I put both of us, I did it. I put us both on the driver channel. And I was like, yeah, you can say anything and they're not going to hear it. And he was like, really? And I said, yeah, look at these idiots type of thing. No one turned around. And then he like continued it on. And then I took it a step further and he took it a step further. And it, it was like the, the yelling the penis game. Right. Whoever could yell exactly. louder. Just take right. it. Yeah. And f- at one point, Wayne does a slow turnaround, kind of like this, <laughs> and like lowers his glasses. And me and Philippe, you know, just look at him, and he's like, "What did you just say?" And Philippe and I looked what at had each you other, said? and we were like, uh, <laughs> "Like there was no response." And Wayne was like, "I love getting talked to this way," and then turned around. So apparently Wayne's radio scans everything. <laughs> and Philippe and I had no idea. And were you were you specifically were no. you specifically calling Wayne out no. in any way? No, okay. No, we were referring to the group, right? Right. <laughs> Look at these guys. They don't even know anything that's going on. They can't even hear us talk. Like it's, I mean, nothing nothing that was too aggressive, right? right? But, but still like, like could have been. Could have been. And it could have been like, bad. Still like calling people out and stuff in a in a lighthearted way, but yes. Anyways, um, that's awesome. That reminded that little incident. That's Tim so... reminded me of that. Yeah, <laughs> and so actually, funny. Wayne brought it up <laughs> at dinner um, when we were just down in Daytona testing. He was like, "Remember that time you guys uh, were talking sh- and didn't know I was listening?" We were like, "Yeah, <laughs> nope. <laughs> I yeah, that doesn't sound familiar. That I don't recall that at all. That weirdly." Un- reminded me of uh on movie sets you know each department has their own channels so when i would work as a production assistant with the ad department you know we were channel one and then you'd go to channel two if you needed to have like a conversation off that but people would still go to chime in and to listen what's going on because everybody's kind of nosy and they would scan the channels so we uh, my friend LA. anderson and i we had a uh, hey you know anderson go to channel two and then you get to channel two bat cave and Batcave meant go to channel 13. <laughs> so <laughs> just to have our own little private conversation. That is smart. That is a good call. <laughs> it's a good point. There's got to be like so many people that are on headsets on a movie set that you need to be able to like separate them into different groups. Yeah. So each each department, generally speaking, has their own channel. That makes sense. What a previous life you had, Tim. <laughs> yeah. Now what, I don't, now working? I don't go to the movie sets. A, a working life yeah working life. <laughs> um all right guys so let's talk about the formula one finale we go into Do the last you... race yeah yes james no no go ahead we go into the last race they're tied on points mm-hmm. 
winner take all. Mm-hmm. It's clear through the weekend that Mercedes is strong. Mm-hmm. Max delivers immensely under pressure. Mm-hmm. And with the help of his teammate, puts it on pole by four tenths. Mm-hmm. In that process, damage a set of tires. So, like, mm-hmm. yes, pulled a lap out, but was still theoretically on the back foot to Lewis um, from a strategy standpoint. Botches the start. Lewis gets the jump. Max has a lunge into turn five, four, seven, five. whatever. It used to be seven. Um, and Lewis, no contact, aggressive racing. We can get down to the brass and that's of that in a minute if we want to. But the moral of the story is Lewis controlled the entire race until the end. And then shit hit the fan and Max wins and wins the championship. And I just, I don't like it. Not because Max didn't deserve to win. Not because Max wasn't on par or better than Lewis. If you look at some of the races he had taken away from us all year. But the way that that all boiled down, it did not feel right. Okay. How did it boil down? It boiled down to the five laps to go. Um, A car crashes. Yellow flag comes out. Safety car comes out. And the precedent that I've seen in Formula One all through this year is that you red flag races and qualifying sessions. And you red flag most things, it would seem, if the impact's big enough. Um, and they did not do that. They let the cars circulate for four laps. They moved some cars, but not all cars around the safety car to unlap themselves or not to unlap themselves, but just to get out of the way. And Max, you know, had better tires because he had stopped and ultimately, um, ended up winning the race. So my biggest issue with this, and I know James, you have a whole thing that you're going to get into my biggest issue with it ultimately boils down to the red flag rule because here's here's why in a in a series where you can't change tires under a red flag red bull and max would have been rewarded they would have been rewarded by being aggressive not that lewis necessarily could because he wasn't going to give up track position yes I, I thought you could change tires under red. yeah he's no. saying hypothetically in a series oh sorry where, yeah. okay sorry yeah right Yes, so, Max, yes. Max would have been benefited because they had pitted and had pressure tires. And and, yes. and Red Bull would have then deserved the win in a lot of yeah. ways. Strategic they, call. They, they strategically made it. And sometimes the fast car doesn't win a race. That's motorsports. Correct. And honestly, would have been fine with it. But because the Formula One rules exist, and there's been a precedent set that red flags occur. There was a, a lot of red flags in the last two years. Yeah. There was a situation where they clearly wanted to finish the race under green for obvious reasons. I have no problem with that. But you are then you're you're literally making decisions that completely and 100% remove Lewis from the equation. Like it was a foregone conclusion. As soon as they didn't red flag it, they said it was going to go green with a lap to go, and they moved some, but not all cars, to the around to give Max a clean shot at Lewis. There was no chance in hell that Lewis. It was 100% going to be Max's win. So that's my problem with it. It wasn't that Red Bull was. Ultimately, yes, they were rewarded for a strategy call, but Mercedes was not given the same sort of precedence that has been set by the FIA for the entire year. And that's the problem I have. Go ahead, James. I completely agree with that statement. The the only immediate counter to that is Red Bull also didn't know what they were what the series was going to do, right? So the series behaved in a way the series has not behaved before. They both teams made a decision. 
based on what has historically happened. And that's not what happened. And it just so happens that the way it played out, it happened to, I just said happened a lot. It favored Red Bull over Mercedes. Um, Mercedes, as soon as the yellow came out, Mercedes was in a very difficult spot because Max was going to do the opposite of whatever Lewis did, right? So if they pit Lewis, Max was going to stay out and get track position. If and they theoretically, stay out, the race could have ended under yellow as well. So he would have right, up, exactly right. So and this is this is to me where it gets a little tricky, and because we've had this situation in IndyCar, it was actually it was it was a situation I was involved in. Um, IndyCar's got this right. IndyCar's got this rule called the abandonment of procedures, which came in after Iowa 2018, <clears throat> because we had an accident with I think it was like seven laps to go or something, <clears throat> and there are procedures under a caution. We know the rules. You have to close down pits, bunch up the field, open pits for lead lap cars, close the pits for lead lap cars, wave the lap cars around, open pits for lap down cars, close pits for lap down cars, bunch field back up, go green. The lap at Iowa, even at pace car speed, is like a minute. And I was doing the math in my head. I'm like, there's not enough time for us to get through all of these procedures before we're going to run out of laps. Let's not pit when they open the pits. We stayed out. We ended up winning the race. They subsequently have come up with the abandonment of procedures rule, which means that at any time they can just say, the procedure goes out the window, we're going to do what we want to do. So you know then at that point that the emphasis is always going to be on getting the race to finish under green, right? So you can kind of conduct yourself accordingly, knowing that that is where their head is at. With that abandonment of procedures rule, you don't know exactly what's going to happen, but you know what the end goal for the series is going to be. In Formula One, they don't have that rule, the abandonment of procedures rule. So in theory, you would have to go through the entire safety car procedure, which they didn't have time to do and still finish under, under green. So what they did was this sort of, they said, I think, again, I'm, I haven't read all the rules all the way through, but it was like you either move all the lapped cars around or none of the lapped cars around, and they moved just the number of lap cars that were in between Max and Lewis. That's where for me it gets kind of like either move them all or don't move them, don't move any. Because they could have still moved them all. They could have done what IndyCar does, drop them to the back. You know, they, they, there's a lot of things I think that need to be tweaked. Um, but I think I agree with Alex. I think the red flag should have flown. It would have made the fairest, um, the fairest conclusion if Max was able to beat Lewis in a straight up fight on new tires after a restart cool probably not what was going to happen but i feel like as soon as the red wasn't thrown it it, it kind of just went advantage max and again that's totally fine as alex said the the, the fastest car doesn't always win the race it's just that 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 one gray area that one like dark cloud over the whole thing is the decision the fia made on how they how they sort of produced the end there and how they what, how yeah. they made their decisions. Well, and it's unfortunate, weirdly, for, for Max, because it kind of taints it. For sure. You know, it, it ended in a, in a legal, you know, there was an appeal, there's all that stuff. What's the only thing that I like about it from the drivers and team standpoint, right, is Mercedes isn't mad at Red Bull. Max isn't mad at Lewis. Lewis it, it, the teams and the drivers had nothing to do with it. It wasn't yeah. a collision. It wasn't an illegal bid on a car. There was no controversy like that. So... I, I, you know, I, I said it on the day, like Lewis's um, interview afterwards was pure class. 
the 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 pure definition of a, of a sportsman like that was just the best movie could have done shook max's hand it was nothing max did yeah max you know? didn't make the call he didn't hit him off the track yeah th- there was and so there there was <clears throat> it was good because those guys could still just sort of shake hands after a long hard fought battle at the end of the day both guys were equally as deserving of that championship like they both they went in tied on points because they had literally both done yeah. the same level of incredible job it's only happened once before in the history of the sport so both were deserving champions and the way it shook out you can argue that lewis was more deserving on the day but that's not how racing goes it's just how race control had to play sort of interference in a way and affected the ultimate outcome that sucks it's going to lead to a lot of conversations it's going to lead to a lot of rule changes i'm sure for next year but it's going to make for one hell of a season of drive to survive ladies and gentlemen (laughs) so i know it's impossible to to say what would have been done well ultimately i think i can guess so if charlie whiting had still been around was is still with us i believe the race would have just ended under yellow which has its own set of issues but he is one that's going to follow the rules to a t and those are the rules and if we need to adjust them at the end of the year because of whatever reason that's what we're going to do and and we can have that discussion but the rules are the rules i feel like this new race director it it got thrown into the deep end in a lot of ways because ultimately formula one's been very straightforward and pretty easy for for a while it's really just kind of been track limits but now that you have two guys who are going at it you know, trying to cut each other's throat every single weekend, you know, he's had to play a role a lot more than I think we've seen in the past. So I don't know that it's necessarily all him because there's been a lot of circumstances that haven't necessarily presented themselves in quite a while. But I also feel like maybe towards the end, because the FIA and because him as a race director was coming under a lot of scrutiny and a lot of pressure, he was making decisions that were trying almost to trying too hard. Like he was trying to do too much to kind of prove himself in a way, which I mean, yeah, ultimately is human nature. But as a race director, you've got to be so immune to all of that and literally just go by what is the black and white. There's no gray area in a rule book. And the FIA or the race director shouldn't even ever consider a gray area. It's, oh, this is either what we do or what we don't do. End of discussion. Yeah, I think, I think, the other thing that Michael Massey, the new race director, has working against him that Charlie Whiting didn't is, you know, under new ownership, I think the, I'm trying to think of the right word here, the, the, the most important value, I think, of the series has changed. I really do. All motorsports started as, a pure sporting competition and systematically all motorsports has evolved into an entertainment property. We have things in our series in IndyCar designed specifically for entertainment value. Uh, not necessarily the most fair situation where the fastest car or driver wins. NASCAR has it. Every, every professional motorsports has done this. F1 has been in this transition period since Liberty purchased it where they've understood how important the show is, but they really need to make that distinction now. And I saw a really interesting post and someone said this, you know, they, they talked about how, how Charlie had decades of experience getting to the point where he was just the super respected race director. And he probably made tons of mistakes at the beginning, 
or made a lot of questionable calls early on. Um, but in, in our lifetimes, Alex, we never saw any of that because he'd already been doing it for 20 years. Michael got thrust into this job unexpectedly when Charlie passed away. Uh, and he's in a, he's in a very different era of the sport, but F1 kind of needs to make a decision. Are we going to operate as purely the most pure form of motorsports where the rules are tailored so that the fastest car and driver wins, or are we going to tailor the rules so that we are an entertaining, entertaining sporting property? Um, and I think, I think once that decision is sort of made, then the rules can be written a little more objectively for those, you know, goals. And then people can't really complain. I agree. It'd be very interesting to see how they, how they deal with this going forward. Um, because I have a very good feeling, you know, 2022 is going to be pretty much round two with Max and Lewis. I think Red Bull Mercedes are going to figure it out quicker than anyone else. You know, other teams might get there by the end, but, you know, they have got the biggest budgets and the most success and, you know, the two best drivers on the grid. So I very much think, you know, for the first half of the year, it's going to be Max v. Lewis again. So it'll be interesting to see how how he handles it with, with a fresh a fresh slate and maybe some adjusted rules. I, yeah, it's, it's, I still am going to take Lewis for getting number eight. Like, it's going to happen. Oh, it has to, man. I mean, the, the, biggest, the biggest risk for Lewis is George now. Yeah. You know, having having George Russell in the uh, in the car alongside him instead of Valtteri is going to be like kind of the most interesting thing of the first couple races. How that how that plays out is Mercedes going to have a, a number one, number two status? I mean, they Probably. have. Yeah. They, yeah, I mean, they've they've sort of said in the past. It's funny because we talked about this when George got the the nod, right? You know, Toto's had the conversation where he said we don't want to have a Nico and Lewis situation again. So it kind of says, you know, it's kind of said, yeah, we've always wanted to have a number two to Lewis. George could come in and do one of the two things. He could see that Lewis has far fewer races in front of him than he does behind him, play the role of number two for a season or two, and then be promoted to the number one guy. Or he can come in, kick in, and, and <laughs> make life very difficult for Lewis and Toto and everybody. Based on his post immediately after the race, I don't feel like that's going to be the case. <laughs> He did. He did have a very pro Mercedes post at the, at the end of the race, uh, but you never know, man. Once once he's in the car, it's uh, it'll be it'll be interesting to see for sure. Um, but yeah, I think you're right. I think it's going to be these same two guys. And you, you you said it. You said the two best drivers on the grid. Can we just talk about how much better they are than everybody else? Yeah, like their teammates of... <laughs> are both very good drivers, and they're like. The gap between them and their teammates is astounding. Yeah, it's pretty remarkable, actually. And it's very, I saw, I saw another thing that Christian said. He's like, this championship, you know, Max, in, in their mind, is going to win many more championships. But for Max to be able to beat Lewis, who is going to go down as the greatest Formula 1 driver of all time. Absolutely. For him to be able to do that is going to be the greatest accomplishment of his life. Whether he wins three more, two more, one more, no more, whatever. The fact that he was able to do it and win against Lewis, ultimately in his prime. Like, you know, I mm-hmm. think how he drove the second half of the year was was outstanding. I drove um, the first half of the year was outstanding. Well, no. Yeah, he's he's pretty great. At, he's pretty uh, neat at with, driving race cars. With feet and hands <laughs> and pedals and wheels and stuff. <laughs> he's pretty handy at it. No, you're right. I mean... uh the the first guy to unseat Lewis since Nico. I mean, Nico's got a cool stat because 
he he beat Lewis in the same car. Now, if you want to dive into it and be that guy, Lewis had worse reliability in 2016 than Nico did. And you could look at the points that he lost. With this championship, neither guy really had any reliability issues um, with the exception of Max's uh, Baku failure. But like it was, they were just evenly matched all year. And I think more often than not, Mercedes got more out of the weekends when they weren't the quickest. Though I say that, I mean, Red Bull, you know, at, at Coda, that was a really impressive, you know, end there when Max had, a, had to hold off Lewis. So, yeah, I mean, honestly, both both teams and both guys did an incredible job. But the the gap in points and the, the frequent gap in qualifying to their teammates, gap in race pace. I mean, like, Alex, you, you would know better than anybody. Like, I know they all say there's a number one, or, or the, it, it, Mercedes tries to say that the the stuff's the same. Is it the same? Like, does Red, Red Bull's kind of always been okay with having a number one and a number two? I feel. Um, yeah. But like, are I mean, there it, is there is the equipment the same, or like, is there an advantage there? The equipment is is the same. It might be the same two or three races later, though. Right. So, and anytime there's an upgrade or a, a big change very rarely do they have the resources and the ability to roll it out for two cars. Right. So, you know, there's three or four times a year, Barcelona, Silverstone, Singapore, and somewhere else where Coda, where they usually bring out, you know, a pretty significant upgrade and the number two driver will get that one to three races later. So right. there's definitely going to be a discrepancy in, you know, probably 10 races a year where the cars aren't the same. So half. Um, so which, I mean, which goes a long ways for sure, yeah, but I not, still not think, nothing. I still think, um, all of the best drivers of the pairings won, and I'm going to caveat that with one thing. I think Carlos Sainz was hugely underrated this year for him to come yeah. in Ferrari yep. first year. And yep. quite honestly, I mean, beat Charles in a lot of situations, um, and came out on top of the points. I think that was a huge for him and a, and a massive accomplishment. Because I, Charles I, is seen as like, you know, one of the the elite guys in in the series. Yeah, you don't get a five year contract from Ferrari without them thinking that you're you're pretty nifty. Yeah. Uh, I I completely agree with that. I mean, you look at all the other drivers that went to new programs this year and their comparisons to their teammates. Man, yeah, night and day. I mean, even Fernando against uh, Ocon yeah. was a closer I mean, bat. Was like a yeah, you know, it was, it was only like it was only like five or six points. In the right. Yeah. Um, but yeah, for for. Carlos to step into a team that has almost his exclusively historically been a number one and a number two kind of team to beat who is undoubtedly considered the number one for sure. Uh, the way he did first year in. Yeah, it was very impressive. Very, very impressive. Charles had this incredible ability to have massive shunts on Friday or Saturday, but still come back to a great result on Sunday. Like his crash damage bill from the year has got to be the highest, except for maybe Mazepin. I don't know. But he had some well, monumental cars cost less to replace it. <laughs> I, think, I think I think he wins that True. battle. True. But every time he did that, he he brought back a pretty good performance on race day. So that minus, was uh, minus Monaco where awesome. he put it on pole and minus Monaco, yeah. Broke his gearbox. Yeah. So yeah. Super didn't start on pole. That was a tough pill to swallow. The sweet sound of sports you love from Sling. The collide of football pads. The squeak of shoes on a basketball court. The crack of the bat on a home run. 
the slice of skates cutting across the ice. But what about this one? That's the sound of all the sports you love, all at once. Starting at $40 a month, experience it all live with Sling. Sling. Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, <laughs> that's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every basket, every game, every point, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a three-pointer at the buzzer to tie the game or a player that goes two for two at the foul line. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only. Must be present in Virginia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Um, okay, so the other thing I want to talk about from that race, well, there's two. I mean, we can talk. Yeah, okay, fine. Let's talk about that first lap, Max Lewis going through the chicane or whatever. Max throws it in from a country mile away. Lewis sees it coming from a country mile away. Actually, Alex, give, give me your theory on Lewis's approach to that corner and his subsequent decision-making. So, Lewis, what I've noticed, and it's what I've noticed it lately. I don't, I don't remember really ever seeing this um, except for this year or even the second half of this year. He, he knows what Max is going to do. You know, he knows Max has a run. Um, Max is not going to just be like, oh, I'll try and get him the next lap. You know, he's going to stuff it back in there. He's got softer tires. You know, he's trying to get his advantage back. He lost at the start. And, you know, Max isn't locked up sideways, out of control. Like, it's very clear that it's happening. Lewis kind of does a half defend or whatever, but gives gives the gap. And very, very, what, the point I'm making is he knows Max is there. And Lewis, instead of, you know, kind of backing up and, you know, preparing the exit of a, of a chicane, leading on to a very long straight where he can very easily get a better run and pass him back into the next corner, he kind of lets... Max, get into the corner, be wide of the apex, and then Lewis like makes an attempt to turn into a side pod and then shortcuts the track. And he and he does it often. And I think, I think, and it's I mean, it's smart, I guess, but it's his way of proving without a doubt that he got pushed off because he tried to turn into the corner and couldn't because Max was overzealous. So him cutting the corner and retaining the lead is perfectly okay because Max put him in a dangerous situation. It wasn't a dangerous situation. Lewis could have very easily just let him go deep into the corner, cross him back up, and and had the shot to get him on the exit. But this guaranteed that Lewis was going to be able to keep the lead, didn't have to risk trying to pass Max again. And I just think it's like it's it's intelligent, but it's also stupid to watch. Like he did it on the last lap, yeah, um, going into turn six, thinking that you know Max was going to completely overshoot it and push Lewis beyond the white line. And it's like, dude, you doing that. It it legitimately cost you a shot at getting the run 
back on him into turn seven or whatever. Like, yeah. because had you just, just let him go deep and cross him back just, over. Yeah, you would have you would have had it and it would have been a battle. Now you're trying to play the card of like, you know, when you watch an NBA player try and get an offensive foul and it's like, right. you know, the guy bumps into him and they jump backwards and fall on their butt and wave their hands at the refs. It's like, it, it kind of felt like that. And it was like, well, but just also just go try and race them. That's interesting. Out race yeah, it's, it's auto racing flopping. <laughs> yeah and it kind of, that that's way. my opinion of what it was yeah yeah and so wow. that brought up the discussion of can we please just add some grass back to the racetracks so that way this isn't such an issue right because if there was at least so i think it's silverstone that does it right that have like astroturf or something kind of around the outside and then it goes into a paved runoff yeah. is that right yeah so then yep. the, what that does, does is well. Okay. So in, in that in that exact scenario, right, in that first lap lunge for Max, Lewis is way more likely to just stand on the brakes, check it up, cross him under, because going off is now going through some grass, maybe a little bit of gravel, and it's not just a paved runoff that he can accelerate through and come out significantly further ahead than he would have otherwise. It penalizes guys for going off, for pushing other people off it makes those discussions i think a lot easier and it just it just makes it i don't know it's it's not a driver safety thing i'm not saying put anyone in risk and I, I don't think any of these places where you could do that would have uh, a dangerous effect right. on right we're not saying put a wall and make a street course no, at the end no. of a 220 mile an hour straightaway absolutely not uh but just something that at least yes. makes guys realize they're not running on a parking lot cone course you know where you can just cut across anything and it's fine there's just, there's no penalty. There's no impetus to not do what Max does because he knows the other guy is going to make it through. And, and race control is kind of like, yeah, you kept what they said, like Max stayed within the white lines. Max had one tire of the four that didn't go all the way over the white line. Like he barely <laughs> kept it on the track. And if it had been grass there, he probably wouldn't have gone quite as deep. And Lewis probably would have tried to cross him up and it would have just been better racing. Right, you would have been actually kind of been some wheel to wheel stuff rather than right, one guy just bailing been, out. It could have been, yeah, you could have like hung it around the outside and had the right. inside for the next. Like there could have been a lot more options. And I think, you know, IndyCar doesn't necessarily get it right either. Like, I mean, we talked about it last week in the drivers' meeting, James. Like Portland, you know, for IndyCar is a huge issue. Like, a, not only have we not gotten through that turn one, turn two complex without a crash every single year since we've been back. Sorry. Yeah. Thanks, James. No, not, I've been targeted been three years in a row. No, yeah. none of them were, but I was there. So like we, we have the opportunity to, to make it better. Um, and we don't either. So I don't know. It's not just a formula one thing. It's, it's no, no, no. But they do it at every track, but two, that is, and that we is have true. it at one corner of one track where it's like That's a big fair. issue. Yeah. yeah. Um, all right. So then lastly, what is your, cause I, I know we like, kind of talked about it, enjoyed it in the moment, but what is your actual take on Checo playing interference, running interference for Max the way that he did? I thought it was awesome. Right. Like, okay. <laughs> I, I loved it. Like, it, and I loved it because Sergio wasn't stupid about it. Like, he was being very aggressive. He was putting his car, you know, you could see the dust flying up. He was, he was driving on the inside of corners where you wouldn't ever try and defend there. Like he was going over the top, but he was doing it in a way that was very reasonable. Like he wasn't getting next, having Lewis get next to him and like 
pushing him down or pushing him against a wall or pushing him below a white line. Like he was just, so yes, the, the way that Sergio defended played the team role and in a way that gave max six seconds back to Lewis, I thought was awesome. And it's part of why you have teammates. Like I, if I get asked to do that and I have the opportunity to do that, I'm going to try and do it just as well as Sergio did. Cause I thought that was, that was amazing. Okay. So then you're Lewis. Are you furious that this is happening or are you just assuming you're like, this is the game. He's not driving dangerously, like you said. But like, are you are you like, well, now now it's almost unsporting because no, so I'm fine with it because Sergio was on was on in the lead, like he was yeah, on. It was legitimately like fighting for the lead, right? He was yep. fighting for the lead. When I yep. had this issue in 2019 with Elio, when I was yes. trying to run down Simon and Elio was was Simon's teammate, he was not on the lead lap, right? And it's so that deal. that is a very different situation. Yep. where you're now not in the race and you're interfering with someone who is fighting for the lead because right. it's your teammate. Right. So that's, that's where the discrepancy or the difference is. Sergio yeah, was leading nope. the race. I Go agree wholeheartedly. I agree wholeheartedly. I thought it was awesome. Uh, Cause I just, I saw some comments on, on Twitter or whatever, where people were less than thrilled and thought it was unsporting of him to do that. But you're right. It's, it is a team sport. We, we have that discussion slash argument with people all the time that this is in fact a team game. And, uh, and that was a great example of it. So um, I imagine there's going to be, something nice and shiny under Checo's Christmas tree this year from, uh, from Christian. <laughs> I mean, ultimately it had, yeah, yeah. Ultimately it didn't have an effect on the outcome, but in the moment, you know, it, it definitely opened up an opportunity and it was, uh, it was kind of cool to see how he, how he pulled it off. And, he did and it was also it. cool in, in the heat of the battle to see Max acknowledge it as well. And I think yeah. Max for all the things people say about him, how he's a cocky little or whatever he may he may come across that way i've i've been fortunate enough to know him for going on a decade now and he's a really really good dude and so he acknowledged you know sergio's help in qualifying you know he wouldn't have been able to get pole without mm -hmm. sergio you know, playing that role and he acknowledged it on the race radio to his engineer um during during the race about how awesome checo was so i thought that was that was cool as well he wasn't just oh you should do this for me i'm way better than you move out of the way it was like that guy's a badass right. thank you yeah yeah no, it was uh, honestly. I thought. I think both on track and off over the last two seasons, we've seen a huge, a huge growth for Max, and uh, I think he's. I think he's going to be a great champion. I think he. I think he represents the sport well. I think, um, you know, obviously Lewis has done that for a decade now, basically uh, as kind of the de facto champion over the last ten years. But uh, it's always it's always good to have you know someone else take that role. And as you said, Lewis is going to be back, and he's probably going to get his eighth and then he can, he can do it again. So last, last thing I'm going to bring up about it and probably our closing, closing thought of uh, the day. So Max is taking number one, you know, he's, he's not going to run yes. 33 next year. He's taking number one. If you're in his situation, what do you do? Oh, that's a, that's a, that's a neat question. Um, that's a neat question. I remember this conversation happening when, um, when Ryan, won the championship with Andretti in 2012 and he yeah. and Michael had differing opinions on it. Um, man, I don't know. I think, well, it depends, honestly, so in F1, it's a little different because your number is yours, right? Which I think is great. I think we need to bring that to IndyCar. I really, really like that idea. Um, so yeah, the, the car doesn't have the number the driver does. So if you switch teams, your number goes with you. 
who are in IndyCar, it's the car that has a number. I think if it's the Formula One scenario and that's your number forever kind of thing, I might I might stick with the number. So I would I would agree with that. And I was kind of surprised that he took it. And his response was, I might never get the opportunity again. So I'm going to do it this year. Whether he does it for number two or number three, whatever. But he was like, I may never see this again. So see, that would be interesting if he wins it again and opts not to, because he's just like, yeah, well, I did it once, so I don't need to do it again, kind of thing. I could see, I could see him being that type of person. Yeah, (laughs) but you know, like box next. Right, right. I feel like in IndyCar a lot because you know we have that option as well, and a lot of drivers don't do it. You know, like Newgarden did, right? Newgarden did it. Is Plo going to do it? Plo's going to do it. Scott doesn't because he's Scott doesn't. Yeah, but he didn't after his first one. Well, Scott's just the greatest guy. Like, yeah, he just because he knew that they were just going to come left, right and center. So he's like, ah, this isn't special. It doesn't matter. Yeah, Yeah, what else is new? One, nine. (laughs) Oh, that's that's interesting. Yeah, you're right. Okay, good deal. Well, guys, Mm. what a thrilling weekend. No racing for a while. Um, What the actual f are we going to talk about next week? Oh goodness. Astronomy. We should just skip it. <laughs> oh, Mr. Let's Go Back to Every Week now wants to skip it's two weeks before Christmas. Literally the, no, not two weeks. Next week is the 21st. It's Christmas week. Is it really? Exactly. Yeah. Exact week. All right. Well, yeah, maybe we'll take the week off. I think we take the week off and then we reconvene and we talk about our Christmases and I love that we had with our family. Or, or since we all actually aren't busy, we just record like 13 episodes next week and take like. Yeah, no. About off. what? <laughs> the reason we want to take <laughs> the reason we want to take next week off is because we don't have anything to talk about. Instead, you want to get together and try and record thirteen hours of content. You're fine. <laughs> Here's your Christmas present. It's a pink slip. Uh, you don't. What a new car? <laughs> no, not that kind of. No, God, you've been watching too much Fast and Furious. Hell yeah, uh, gentlemen. It's been a privilege. Uh, have a wonderful Christmas and to everyone listening have a wonderful Christmas and we'll see you guys in two weeks thanks so much for listening to Off Track with Hinch and Rossi keep in contact with us on Twitter and Instagram our handle is at askofftrack or you can follow us individually we're at Hinchtown and at Alexander Rossi if you want to follow Thim, though we have no idea why you would, he's at the Tim Durham. We really need to get that changed to add producer Thim. The music you heard today is by Ryan Dan of Holland Patton Public Library. Off Track with Hinch and Rossi is produced by Tim Durham. And by that I mean Thim. Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, (laughs) That's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every basket, every game, every point, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a three-pointer at the buzzer to tie the game or a player that goes two for two at the foul line. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only. Must be present in Virginia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply.